0: We are so glad that you joined us today. We know that God wants to do something great in you and through you, and we want to hear about it. So, if you can take a moment and share with us your story in the City Chapel app, in the Amen Corner. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoy today's message. It's what the Jews call the cup of praise. The cup of praise. Um, that's because by this time they've already had three cups of wine. So that just, just comes in handy. Uh, it's easier, I guess, <laughs> by the fourth one. Uh, the fourth and final cup. See, all the religious people say, I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. She says, wine. We need to look at the, the, the Hebrew and see what that means. Well, it means what is this? And so they've been drinking now the fourth cup. And they call it the cup of praise, and and the the Hebrew word for praise is hallel. Uh, it's also kind of in the middle of the word hallelujah. So whenever we say hallelujah, uh, what we are saying is hallel. is the first part, hallel, which means to celebrate or to praise or to rejoice. Uh, and then and then and then it's and then there's God. Uh, la le or le uh, is is God. Hallelujah, Yah is God. So the Hallel is a praise, a rejoicing, and the and the Yah is Yahweh is God, which means Hallelujah means to rejoice in God, to celebrate God, like to 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 touch down salsa dance. God because he just he's so he's that good. He's that awesome. He's that amazing. That's what hallelujah means. So when the angels cry out hallelujah, they are not saying, okay, get really reverent and really spiritual and just, you know, bow your head and close your eyes. They are saying celebrate God rejoice in God. And that's why they call the fourth cup, the cup of praise, the cup of Hallel. Uh, Because there's also more connotation, by the way. Worship is not just what we do in here on Sunday morning. Worship is not just when we sing songs, when we raise our hands. Uh, Worship, true Hillel, a true Hillel is not something that you sing or something that you you do like, like in a moment. It's something that you live And so the cup of praise means that that God has been moving you along this progression. He, He saved you. He delivered you. He redeemed you so that you could live a life of worship. That there is not a clash between what you sing on Sunday and how you live on Monday. That There is not a discrepancy. That there is not a hypocrisy between how you how you raise your hands and how committed and focused you are to Jesus between 10 and noon on Sunday morning and the rest of the week a true hallel is to worship on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, a true Hillel is to live with an understanding of the goodness of God and the greatness of God and to continually celebrate Him, to continually recognize Him, to continually thank Him for how good he is. That's what it means to Hillel. In fact, when God spoke to Pharaoh, when the children of Israel were in uh, Egypt under slavery, and God told Moses to go tell Pharaoh this message, the message that he told them actually in Exodus chapter 9 was, let my people go so that they may go into the desert and worship me. That's the whole purpose. That's the whole purpose. God's entire plan for you and I is that he would free us from being slaves to sins. He would deliver us from from having the bondage of sin inside of us. He would redeem us, help us to find our purpose and our place in his calling and in his plan so that we could live a life of worship to him. So that our lives would worship him. So that our lives would celebrate him. So that our, 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 our everyday life would celebrate him. And that's what Hillel means. But of course we always have some difficulty with this. And that's very normal. In fact, the first uh, people that God spoke to had some difficulty. God took them out of Egypt, right? He delivered them. Uh, we talked about that the first week, and then the second week we talked about how he he delivered them through the Red Sea. So God will take you to something in order to take you through something. So he leads them through the Red Sea, and, and meanwhile, uh, you know, the sea parts and then collapses again on their enemies. So he not only delivers them, but he destroys their enemies that had been chasing them down. And so God leads them through all of that, and then he takes them on the other side of the sea and leads them and they and they, they they complain that they're hungry and so God says okay well I'll have bread fall from heaven and then I'll put some quail out there at night and take care of you and then they then they complain that they're thirsty and so God makes water come out of a rock and follow them. The psalmist says that that the water followed the streams followed them as they were walking. They were they were continually having the provision of God. Not only that, God was leading them with a pillar of cloud in the middle of the day. There's this huge cloud in front of them, which which as I was talking to somebody about last week, not only is this for direction, but it's also for shade. They're in the middle of a wilderness, and so they're in the middle of a desert. It's hot out there. So God made sure that there was like, you know, like Linus with the peanuts, you know, like there's this little cloud right over them, protecting them, shading them from the brutal desert sun, and then that pillar of cloud turned into a pillar of fire at night. Yes, so that they could still be led, but also because chapter 20, God gives them what we call the Ten Commandments. He thunders it from the mountain. He, they, they're, they're all standing around the mountain and God begins begins speaking. this is this is amazing. This is the only by the way, this is the only country in the world that has ever had this happen to them. And in fact, the Jews today still still hold this as their highest moment as a nation. I was on a secular website the other day, and uh, it, it was an Israeli secular government website. And there was a question, why Israel, I think. And, and so, so I clicked on that. And they talked about the fact that they are the only nation that God personally has come down and spoken to. They are the only group of people that God personally has come down from heaven, dwelt on a mountain, and spoke directly to them. He said, this is what I want from you. And he gave them the Ten Commandments. The first commandment, you, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any uh, images and bow down to them. For I am a jealous God. Those are the first couple commandments. Now, now, now the people heard these commandments, and it, it freaked them out. So they said to Moses, "We don't want to talk to God. We want you to go talk to God." <laughs> and so, and so he did. So God called Moses to come on up. And so, so God calls Moses up there for forty days and forty nights. And and, 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 and the Bible—it's amazing that he goes up for forty days and forty nights. He didn't bring any lunches. He didn't. He, he, he didn't. He didn't bring you know his 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 yeti cooler. He didn't, he, he didn't even have an Arctic, you know, the knockoff version, which works just as good, by the way. I have an Arctic, and it's awesome. Thank you, Paola and Scott. Um, so, you know, he didn't, he, we don't know how he survived, but we do know that in Exodus chapter 34, the Bible is very clear, that he did not eat or drink for 40 days. What? You can't live 40 days without eating and drinking. Yeah, that's what the people thought. And so after 40 days, we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 32. Moses has been up there for 40 days and 40 nights. And when the people saw that Moses had delayed in coming down, they said, he can't be alive. This is impossible. So the people gathered together to Aaron. He was the second guy in charge. Moses had left him in charge and said to him, Come, let us make gods that shall go uh, before us. For as for this Moses... The man, look at this, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt. huh? It's always interesting whenever you, when you take your eyes off of God and put it on a man, you start crediting man for what God did. And this is a real problem for them. They said, let us make gods, little g, let us, let us make gods that shall go up For us, before us, for as for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. And so Aaron says to them, sounds like a good idea, guys, break off the... This is crazy, right? Because they just saw God. They just saw what God could do. And God just thundered from the mountain, don't make any images and bow down to them (laughs) don't make any other gods i am the lord don't do it and in like like just a few chapters later they say hey we have this great idea aaron let's make a god out of gold that can help lead us so aaron says all right break off the golden earrings that are in your ears the ears of your wives and your sons and 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 your daughters bring them to me so all the people did that They broke off the earrings Brought him to Aaron. He received the gold from them, fashioned it with an engraving tool, and molded a calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. This is this this is one of those scriptures that even as a kid, as a ten year old kid, I'm reading the Bible and I'm like, huh? You know, it's like one of those things that you read and you're like, that just doesn't make sense. Like, like when they complained about the manna last week, we talked about that. They complained about God's bread that he had been giving them. That sort of makes sense because it had been the same bread every day for 40 years i can understand complaining about that i can understand them complaining about having nothing to drink because the bible tells us they walked on for three days and god never gave them anything to drink most people can't live beyond three days without water so i can understand going you know some water would be really nice up in here you know what i'm saying so a lot of times i can really associate with these people but when in this scenario I mean, God is still out swirling around the mountain. There's still thundering and lightning and voices kind of going. The cloud is there. And, and right there at the foot of it, they decide, let's just go ahead and bust and break the first two commandments. Let's just make this golden calf. But, but part of the reason why I would never understood it is because I don't have much context for that. I don't have much, much to go off of because I've never been in a culture or society where people are bowing down to, to golden statues of any sort. So to me, it's completely bizarre that you would even do this, let alone in the face of how great God is and he's right there. But what's interesting is when you look at these people's history, they, they were enslaved in Egypt, you, you know, and they were enslaved in the land of Goshen. And Goshen is just up the main road from a land called Memphis. And in Memphis, they had one of their largest temples uh, to uh, the, the god Aspis. And Aspis is the goat, uh, or the, the calf god. The bull, uh, and, then, and then his wife is the goddess of the desert. And so it almost makes sense. These people have been in slavery for 400 years. It would uh, seem that they had been influenced by the culture that they had come from. And I know a little bit about that. I do know a little bit about being influenced by the culture that I've come from. I do know a little bit about valuing some of the things that my my culture tells me to value. I know a little bit about that. I know a little bit about being distracted by the things my culture is distracted by. I know what, I know what that feels like. And so I can start to understand just a little bit how these people could, could be distracted by this golden cow. But then, but then, but then I realize that, that, that they, they, they're not building the cow to replace God. Look what they say. They said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. It's, they, they're saying, this is this is Jehovah. And not only is this Jehovah, but, but in, the, in the Egyptian cult, uh, they believed that, that, that whenever they fashioned this golden calf, that, that the golden calf wasn't actually God, but that the golden calf was like a messenger of God, and that hovering over the golden calf was actual the, the God. I think his name was P-T-A-H, which is Ptah. Uh, the actual creator God hovered over the calf. Which could sort of make sense why they would build this at the foot of the mountain. Because you look at the calf and right above the calf there is God. And notice they're not wanting to replace God. They're not wanting to get God out of their lives. They're saying we want to replace Moses. Because this Moses guy is the guy that we've lost. This Moses guy is dead. We need to replace Moses. And Moses was the mouthpiece for God. And that's what they're looking for. They're not looking for a new Jehovah. They're not looking for a new God. They're looking for a new visual mouthpiece. And that's exactly what Aspis was. Aspis was the, the 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 mouthpiece of the gods. In fact, they, 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 they had this ritual where they would find bulls that had these certain markings on their body. And as soon as they found them, they said, this is the reincarnation of Aspis. And they would bring him into the temple. And um, uh, their, 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 their prophets would get around Aspis. And they would supposedly, by the way that he moved and the way that he sat and stood and nodded and whatever and ate the grass, they would decide that, oh, he's saying this. Because he was the, he was the orator, he was the, he was the mouthpiece, he was the communicator. I don't know why God couldn't find a better communicator than a cow. But apparently, you know, there's a lot of room for interpretation, I guess, for the scribes to be able to say, hmm, I feel like he's, he's happy about that, and I feel like he's sad about that, and he doesn't like what you're wearing, dude, you need to change. And uh, you know what I mean? Like, like, so they, just, they, 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 they drew revelation knowledge from this cow. And that's what the people are looking for because Moses has died. Do you know, I was, I, was, I was praying about this and I said, God, like, why did you keep Moses up there so long? Right? Because, because you, he's up there for 40 days and 40 nights but when you read the law that God gave him it takes about 40 minutes to read. <laughs> so either he was a really slow writer or something else is going on here. Why would God keep Moses up there for 40 days and 40 nights? Why would he keep him away so long when he knew the people were dependent on him, he knew the people were looking for direction from him? He knew the people wanted that visual. And this is what I believe God is saying, that, that in these times, when he wants you to start drinking of the fourth cup, when he wants to enter into a, a, a place where you wants you to enter into a place where your life is a living witness and a living celebration of him, one of the things he will do is he will take away the visual mouthpiece that thing that we've been relying on notice they they're, they're not questioning god they're they're saying we need a visual something that took us out of the land of egypt and by the way up on the mountaintop god uh, the god speaks to moses and says you need to get down there dude he says your people who you brought up out of egypt <laughs> have made a golden have made a golden uh calf and they're worshiping it actually i think i I think i have that 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 scripture maybe Uh, he says he says you you you, your people and then moses uh yeah yeah right there then lord uh, then they rose early and the next day they offered sacrifices to this cow and peace offerings and then they went to celebrate it and so the lord said to moses go get down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, have uh, defiled themselves, corrupted themselves. And Moses pleaded with the Lord his God in verse 11, says, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you (laughs) have brought out of the land? It seems there's a bit of confusion. Who brought these people out? The people think the cow did it. God's says Moses did it and Moses says God did it this is this is this is one of the great uh, issues of our lives as we start to follow God what exactly saved you what exactly brought you out because This is where people fall into religious traps because as soon as they came out somebody told them that they shouldn't be dressing like that and so they started dressing differently and before long they started thinking that it was the different dress code that they had that brought them out. But it's easy because that's a visual thing. That's a thing that I can see. That's a thing I can control. Oh I can do that. Well if you're going to be saved you can't be cussing anymore. So they changed the way that they talk. And that's a visual thing. That's a thing that I can do. And they said, well, if you're going to be saved, you're going to need to go to church. And so, so, so they went to church. It was a visual thing that they could do. But before long, when you do this thing so often, you start to look at that thing. And that's the thing that brought me out of Egypt. I'm saved because I changed the way I dress and I changed the way I talk. And I started going to church more often. And then we start to, start to worship that thing that God intended to be a visual represent, representation, but he never intended it to be an idol in our lives. And we make an idol out of good things. We make an idol out of our family. God intended us to have a family and a good relationship with our family and all of that kind of thing in order to bless us. But sometimes when God really wants to get you to a place where your life is a living worship, He will remove that thing that you had begun, begun to idolize. Even if it's a family even if it's your finances, even whatever it is that you think had some kind of participation in bringing you out of the land of Egypt, God will say, okay, this, is, this needs to go. Because in Exodus chapter 6, the final uh, promise that God gives, if we, could, if we could read over that, He says, he says I am the Lord. Uh, Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7, no? Well, we're just going to memorize. We've been doing it for four weeks. You guys ought to have it memorized. He says, I am the Lord. I will bring you up out of the land of Egypt. I will free you from being slaves to them. That's the second promise. I will redeem you with a mighty arm, with outstretched arm, and mighty acts of judgment. That's the third. And I will, I will take you as my own people. he says, I will take you as my own people. I will take you as my own people. And I will be your God and you will be my people and you will know that I am the Lord God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. He says, you will know. You won't just hear it from Moses, but you will know when, when you are taken. And the problem with the Israelites in this scenario and honestly they didn't get this generation never got this right is that they were never taken they never allowed themselves to be taken by God they would follow God They would trust in God from time to time. They would believe God uh, in his promises from time to time. They certainly relied on God in many instances for their daily bread, for their water, for all of those things. But they they had a problem with being taken. They They were constantly keeping their options open. And you will always, if you're not taken, you will always keep your options open. Ro showed me a text a couple months ago, we had a lot of contractors coming out and uh, one of them saw her walking out of the house on her way to church and said, you look really good. She te- texted her about how good she looked. And so Ro showed me the text said, I don't know if maybe he's just being nice or I said or maybe he wants me to get out my rifle, I think that's what he wants, that's what he's saying, that's, he says, please get out your rifle, I knew I had that thing for a reason not being nice what are you talking about so I but, but th- this is the kind of relationship we have where she can tell me about this stuff and I won't blow up I kept the gun where, where it belongs and um I said well let me let me just handle let me just text him and I, I told him how much Jesus loved him and had a wonderful plan for his life and um <laughs> no actually it was a little more like she's taken that was a little more like what it was. She's like, dude, you're about 10 years late to the party. I'm sorry, but you, you missed it. You missed the boat. She's taken. Because when you're taken, you're out of options. When you're taken, you're, you can't be tempted when you're taken. The enemy can't tempt you when you're, when you're taken. He can't, he, can't, he can't touch you when you're taken, because when you're taken by God, God says, I want you to be taken by me. I want you to be distracted by me. I want you to be so in love with me that you are not keeping any of your options open, that you're not allowing any idols to come between you and me. That, that, when you're taken by God, this is the goal of Christian life, by the way, to be taken by God. Not to be amused by Him or to be impressed by Him or to come visit Him on Sundays from 10 to noon, you know, like He's in prison or something, you know. (laughs) they're treating you good in here, Lord? Yeah, no. You know, how's the food? I don't know. No, like to be taken by God. This is the end game of all of life. This is why God saved you, redeemed you, delivered you in order that you might be taken by Him. He wants to take you to himself. He wants to take you away from everything that would hurt you and destroy you. And he wants you to be entirely his. He is jealous for you. He is jealous for your heart. And he will constantly come against anything that tries to steal your heart. The question is, are you taken? Mm. (laughs) All of life comes down to the question of, are you taken? Have you been taken by God? or are you merely interested or are you merely you know texting him on a regular basis are you mere, are you taken or are you are are you interested he says my final promise is to take you. I want you to be taken so that these other things don't get in the way. What's the old hymn that says, nothing between my soul and the Savior, not of this world's elusive dream. I have renounced all sinful pleasure. Jesus is mine. There's nothing between. Nothing between even many hard trials, though the whole world against me convene. I, uh, watching with prayer and much self-denial, I'll conquer at last with nothing between. The The answer to all of your struggles with sin and with self- and with with anxiety and everything that you're dealing with is to remove things that come between you and Jesus and be completely taken by Him. There are four levels uh, to being a Christian. And I talked to our small group leaders about this uh, a few months ago. And um, small groups are on, uh, we have one last week of small groups this week for the Four Cups. You can still jump in. And then we're going to start up s- small groups again in June. But I, I talked to our small group leaders because this is the purpose of our church. If it's the purpose of God for your life is to get you to a place where you are taken by Him, then it's the purpose of City Chapel to get you to a place where you are taken by Him. And that doesn't mean that we, that, we, that, we just, that we just say, well, anybody who's not completely taken has to leave right now and get out of here, you don't belong. That's not what we're saying. The truth is there are stages, there are cups, there are four cups, there are four promises, there are four steps, there are four levels. And the first level is salvation. The first level is to receive the gift, the free gift of salvation. And every single Sunday we see people receiving that gift and it's exciting and it's awesome. And that's why we do many of the things that we do in order to bring the gospel to people who are far from God. And that's why we do stuff like crazy stuff, because we want to bring in people who are far from God. And we're not always, you know, just simply trying to collect a bunch of Christians in a room. We want some good old sinners in here. You know what I'm saying? Like people who got hangups and hurts and issues. We want, we want you. We've been praying for you. We've been seeking you. That's why we keep inviting you to come to church, because we want our church not just to be. A holy huddle of people who got it all together, but they agree, and we have to. We have to reach the lost. We have to be distracted by the ones who haven't come in yet. And so we, we, we are offering the free gift of salvation, and that first level Christian receives the gift of salvation gladly, and they're, they're thrilled about it, rescued out of hell, saved to, a, to an eternal home in heaven. It's exciting. And you're going to stay there for a while. If you're there today, that's awesome. Just camp out right there. Enjoy it. Celebrate it. Allow it to seep into your life. Allow it to seep into your consciousness. Allow it to change your thinking. His salvation is is worth everything. That's level one. But eventually we want to move you to level two. And level two is where you not only receive the gift of salvation, but you also receive the gift of fellowship. You receive the gift of the Christian community that God's put around you. And you start coming to church more frequently. That's why we did 3 equals 50, to get people to move from level 1 to level 2. And to bribe them to do it. It's not the most biblical way, but it works. And so we want, we want people, though, not just to receive the gift of salvation and then go on their merry way. Because, because unfortunately, if you only receive the gift of salvation and you never enter into biblical community, you have nobody to help you along this journey. And nine chances out of ten, you end up returning the gift of salvation because it's not working for you. You don't know how to handle it. You don't know what to do with it. And so you you end up living as if you never received the gift of salvation. And, and so that's why we want to draw you into community. That's why we want you to hear the word of God every Sunday and worship with other people. That's why we want you to join small groups and stuff. Not because you don't have anything else to do, but because this is really, really important. That you make new friends, that you make godly friends, that you have mentors, that you have somebody that you are connected to. We are stronger when we are together. So it's very important that you move from simply receiving the gift of salvation to actually receiving the gift of Christian community. And it's not like you go to church every every Sunday in your life and then God gets you into heaven because of that. It has nothing to do with salvation. It has everything to do with your journey walking toward God. And, And then the third level, level number three, is the level where now you are receiving really the Spirit of God into your everyday life. So it's not just salvation, a one-time decision, and it's not just community, I'm in church now. Now it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I'm listening to different music, I'm watching different movies, my tastes have changed, my appetites have changed, my desires have changed. God is coming in me, in my life, and he's changing things, and it's awesome. And, and, if, and if you're in any of these stages, well, I just want to say, just keep going. <laughs> Don't get discouraged. No condemnation. You, you are exactly where God wants you to be. Yes. Own it. You'll never go on to the next stage until you outgrow the stage that you're in. <laughs> so that's how you get promoted is you outgrow the stage you're in. You, you, you fill it full. You, you, you own it. It's yours. And so step into that next stage and stage three. But then there is a the fourth and final stage which very few Christians ever get to. It's the fourth cup. It's the fourth promise. Because one thing that is similar with all three of these stages. You receive the gift of salvation into your life. You receive the gift of community into your life. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit into your life the phrase with all of those stages is your life and many people never go to level 4 they never level up to level 4 because level 4 is where you lay down your life is where you say it's not my life anymore I would represent level four as a cross. <laughs> and many people are so scared of that. It's scary, right, to lay down your life and your existence and, the, and your dreams and your plans and your ambitions. It's scary. You see, we, we don't know what's going to happen. And so we hold on. And we, we live within the first three levels. And those are good and they're great. But, but can I tell you that, that the real joy of being a Christian is found on the other side of level four. The real joy, because as long as it is still your life, there's still your problems. It's still your anxiety, there's still your bills. It's still your family, it's still your country, it's still your church, it's still yours. Whatever is yours, you're responsible to maintain, to keep it up, to keep it going good, to make sure it works out. But when you are crucified in level four, as Paul said, I'm, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I'm still living, but really, Jesus is living inside of me and through me. Now, all of a sudden, all of those problems are Jesus' problems. That house is Jesus' house. That car that broke down, that's Jesus' car. And he needs to fix it. <laughs> but he was a carpenter, not a mechanic, so watch out and look out what you wish for. <laughs> but no, the, the, the family, that's Jesus' family. Those are his brothers and sisters, his mom and dad, his aunts and uncles. He's responsible. He takes ownership over my life and he does much more with my life than I could ever do with it myself there was a guy by the name of Nate Saint um we were teaching the kids about Nate Saint a couple weeks ago we do homeschooling so we always share some missionary stories with them Nate Saint was a missionary uh I think uh in uh, he was born 1923 and um, he only lived until he was uh 27 years old because in September of uh 1955, Nate and a few of his teammates, a guy named Jim Elliott, you might have heard of him, Ed McCulley, Pete Fleming, we got Peter Fleming right here, uh, Roger somebody, (laughs) Uh, those guys had identified a certain tribe in uh, the Ecuadorian jungle who had, who had never, been, uh, never been encountered by modern civilization. And they had no way of knowing God. They had no Bible. They had no representation. They had no preacher. They had nothing about God. And mainly, everybody avoided this tribe because this tribe was so aggressive, without provocation. They were just aggressive, and killing people. Uh, they had been, I think, cannibals at one time, and they had sort of digressed. They, they, they weren't that anymore, but they were still very violent and uh, Nate Saint and Jim Elliott and his buddies decided that they were going to reach this tribe and so they so they got and Nate was the pilot uh, since he was seven years old he flew in planes with his dad and stuff and he was in the air force and, and uh, he, he he was a pilot so they, they, they flew over uh, and in order to sort of they, did, they didn't know the language they had several barriers but they would drop off little care packages to the people from the airplane so that the people would know they were friendly so they took care packages care packages and then the people even returned some care packages you know and so they kind of started getting some some th- Uh, idea that these people were friendly and that they understood that they were friendly. And so uh, they uh, finally one day they flew into the beach and landed and uh, went and uh, uh, made contact with the people, these five five men uh, on the airplane. And on the plane they had five rifles. Uh, but they had made an agreement together that they were not going to use those rifles on humans. They would only use them like if a bear or a crocodile or something is for animals. Because as they saw it, the people that they were trying to minister to, uh, they were violent. But if they were to kill those people, then those people that they killed would go into an eternity without God. Whereas if those people killed them, they'd go to heaven. And so they, they made an agreement they weren't going to use the rifles. They flew in, and things seemed to be going well. They started meeting with some of the, some of the natives and exchanging gifts and, and, and trying to communicate for, I think it was about six days. Uh, and, then, and then Sunday came around, I think it was January 8th, uh, they, the, a spearing party showed up and killed them on the beach. Rifles still in the plane. Five dead young men in the water. And that seems like such a waste, right? I mean, for so many years they had been studying languages and, and learning how to minister to people and, and Nate Saint was even a preacher, right? He was a writer and so he would he would, he wrote several pamphlets. But one of the one of the things that he wrote and I I just have this direct quote from him. He said, "Missionaries constantly face expendability." Expendability. I, I, this is, this is something that I think we refuse to acknowledge. That our life is expendable. Right in the middle of the word expendable is the word spend. <laughs> and so Nate says, missionaries constantly face expendability. And people who do not know the Lord ask why in the world we waste our lives as missionaries. But they forget that they too are expending their lives. they forget that when their lives are spent and the bubble has burst, and they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years that they've wasted. And I get a little emotional about that because I think about even my own life. And I think about, like, like, like my kids always ask me to tell them stories at, at the end of the day. And I share stories. And there, there, are some, there are some years that I don't have that many stories to share. And it's not because it was the bad years. I just literally don't remember what I was obsessed with. I don't remember what was so important. I don't remember exactly any particular story because I was so busy doing things that now I don't even remember what I was so obsessed with. That's a wasted life. Those are wasted years. Those are years that you'll never get back. And, and, and usually, usually we're focused on some kind of golden calf. Usually we're focused on something that we have erected so that we can see it and we can work toward it and it's a goal and we're going to get there. But it has an expiration date. Well, the problem with staying in level 1, 2, and 3 is that everything that we do has an expiration date. Everything that we work toward. When we die, it all goes back in the box. It goes in the box with us, and it goes six feet under, or it's cremated, or whatever. But it's gone. The money is gone. The relationships are gone. Everything that we have tried to put together and built, it's just has an expiration date. Even good things have an expiration date. Preaching has an expiration date. I'm not going to be preaching when I get to heaven. Because, one, there's a lot better preachers there. Nate Saint will be like, yeah, I'll take it from here, Harry. It's all good. But but two, there will be no need for preaching. There will be no need for somebody to stand up here and tell you about God. My gift will be completely useless. Nobody will care because we will all behold God in all of his beauty. And Harry can't say anything to make him any better. So Harry's not going to say anything. Musicians, not going to be needed in heaven. Because we have the presence of God. Nobody has to lead us into worship. Nobody has to sing for you. Nobody has to learn the right notes in heaven. Like what we are doing right now, what Dallas and I are doing right now, we're not going to be doing in 150 years. We will be done. We'll never do it again. They'll have no point. The gifts of healing, people who lay hands on people and they're healed, nobody's going to need to be healed in heaven. It has an expiration date. The gift of prophecy, nobody needs any prophecy in heaven. Let me guess, I'm going to be in heaven 100 years from now? Gotcha. Thank you for the word of prophecy. That's awesome. It's completely unnecessary. And those are the good stuff. Your car is not going to be in heaven. Your truck, or whatever, your clothes, your, 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 the stuff you're building, your bank account, those things, are, they have an expiration date. No one's going to remember what job you had. No one's going to remember what title you had. You might have been the President of the United States in three billion years from now. No one's going to even care because we're all going to be on an equal plane. We're all going to be level. Nobody's going to be higher than anybody else in heaven. So all your status, all your stuff. And that's, the, that's why sometimes I'm surprised when people are like, God, God bless me with this, and it's so awesome. And I'm like, well, yeah, but, but, but the real blessing of God is not new trinket idols for you to get distracted by. Because our kids, our kids will not listen to what we say. Our kids will watch what we are obsessed with. Yes. The real blessing of God is that you pass on an obsession with God. There are three things that are eternal, faith, hope, and love. Anything that builds those three things in your life right here, that's good. That's what God wants to do. And you cannot fully have faith in God. You cannot fully have true hope. And you cannot fully love others until you get rid of your life and allow Jesus to come live his life through you. And that's where God says, I will take you. I will take you as my people, as a group. As a group of people. That group of missionaries, you might say that they wasted their life, and to some extent that's true. Just like the group of people that showed up here at 7.30 a.m. wasted their morning. And it's true. Could have been sleeping, could have been doing a lot of other things. But they set up church. (laughs) The group that showed up yesterday here at Williams Elementary and for three hours outside helped kids do games and stuff. You might say that that was a waste, and that's true. They had a lot of other things they could have been doing. The people that bring, that bring uh, food every Sunday for Keep Kids Fed, you might say, well, that's definitely a waste of resources. They're never going to see that. No, they're not. It's, yeah, it's, it's a waste. They're giving it away. So it's true. Those missionaries, in a way, wasted their life. But they spend it. they spent it on something that was eternal. And so they actually have something now to show for it 60 years later. And not only do they have something, but God began to do something through their testimony. Nate's sister uh, didn't give up on the mission. Nate's sister kept trying to contact that tribe in Ecuador. Finally, Nate's sister made contact. Nate's sister went and ministered to them. They didn't kill her. She said, I'm the brother of the guy you killed. And I still love you. And I'm still committed to you. Because my life is expendable, but your soul is eternal. And Jim Elliot, in fact, is famously quoted for saying, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And that's what he did. You can't keep your life. You can't keep your stuff. Why not give it for something that's eternal? And Nate's sister led the very guy who speared her brother, led him to the Lord. And they started a mission there in that tribe in Ecuador. And later on, Nate's oldest son, Stephen, was baptized in the same river by the guy who speared his dad. Because when when we are taken by God, He will take our waste. He will take our life. And He will make something beautiful out of it. He will bring us together as a people. And your story will connect with my story. And they'll all be a part of what God is doing in South Austin. And in Buda. And in the world. The question is, are you taken? Hmm. To drink of the fourth cup means to remove our idols and to give ourselves fully to God. I want to go to the Lord in a time of prayer right now.